Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the See You on the Trail podcast. My name is Hitch. I will be the guy talking to you uh, in the beginning, and then we'll get on with the next one. But uh, you can call me Alan. You can call me whatever you want, as long as you listen to the podcast. I really don't care. Uh, make sure, first, whatever area you're actually listening or watching this with, give it a thumbs up. Give it a like. Uh, I seem to have not shown up on the top 10 uh, off-road podcast area. So uh, make sure you guys give it a like. Give it a share on social media, either Twitter, Instagram, wherever you want to do it. We would appreciate it. Um, but uh, I know it's been a little bit since I've done a podcast. Um, I, I'm one that kind of runs off the cuff. And uh, we haven't had, we haven't been able to, to get anybody scheduled in for a little bit. So it's been about a month. But uh, I hope you enjoy this next podcast. It's going to be one of my favorites. Um, we spent huh, over an hour talking. And uh, that usually doesn't happen. It usually runs 30 to 45 minutes. But uh, I didn't want to stop it because it was going very, very well. And um, so I hope you enjoy that. That's that's in this next segment. But uh, anyway, um, what are you guys' thoughts? Uh, are you guys ready for nationals? Um, comment on Facebook or on uh, YouTube, I believe, are the only two places you can actually comment on this. Um, and uh, comment who you think is going to win nationals. Nationals coming up in um, two weeks, I believe two or three weeks. So uh, comment on it. Tell us who you think is going to win it. My my money is going to be on Lauren, Jason Shear, Eric Miller, just the the, the usual suspects. Um, I did it. I, I enjoy watching all of them race. Uh, I'd like to see somebody from way down below, you know, some of the some of the more minor league racers. I'd like to see somebody like that come up uh, and do it. Uh, what did you think about our last podcast we did with uh, Jay Eakin? Uh, Aiken, I'm sorry, Jay. I'm really sorry about that. I uh, is Jay Aiken. I've always called him the wrong name, and it's it's my fault. I, I just I'm reading on Facebook, and that's that's what happens whenever I actually read, which I I should probably quit reading. But anyway, needless to say, um, we are here to talk to um one of the biggest racers in ultra four history. Um, he started back in 2001, 2002 doing Cal rocks and U rock. And, uh, and he's, he progressed. He was, uh, uh, he's, he's the only three time winner of KOH. And he also, he's also the only back to back winner. He won the last two years. His name is Jason Shear. And um, Jason and uh, his brother are good friends of mine. We've known each other for years. Very, very cool people. Um, and to sit down and talk to Jason about all the stuff that he started out doing is really, really neat. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead, quit rambling, shut my mouth, and let this video roll because it's going to, or this audio, audio or video, you may see a little bit of both. Uh, depending on what uh, platform. Remember, guys, we're on Apple Podcast. Uh, Anchor is where we're based out of. We'll have it on YouTube. We'll have it on Facebook. Um, it's 10 different platforms. And so, although we may not be top 10 in Apple Podcast, you got to think we're spread around everywhere. So we actually just want to get the information out as soon as we possibly can and to the masses. So um, anyway, 
enjoy the uh, the conversation, and I will see you at the end of this conversation. And hopefully, you guys will uh, enjoy it and uh, listen to all of it and uh, share it with uh, everybody that you know on social media. So, my name's Hitch. Um, I'll see you in about forty five minutes or so, and uh, enjoy. Well, today we have somebody that uh, he's a one of a kind kind of guy. His name is Jason Shearer, um, three time back to back for two of them, uh, KOH champions. Uh, Jason, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing great. It's good to be on. Thanks for having me. Oh, anytime, man. Um, we we've been hit and miss trying to catch up, and we've actually finally done it. And we're taking the taking the time out to do the podcast. Um, let's go ahead and start. From the beginning, man, what what got you into off-roading and off-road racing? You know, uh, that's a good question. I, I think that off-roading was more like uh, going camping with uh, my friend's family as a kid. You know, we uh, had a best friend and his family had a Jeep and he let me ride dirt bikes with them all the time. So we just became like uh, dirt bike kids. And when we were, I think 12 years old, his parents took us through, uh, the Barrett Lake Jeep trail and we rode our dirt bikes and they took their Jeep and, uh, it was hard, you know, I was like on a XR 100 trying to get through that trail. I just remember a few sections of it still where I was like, you know, I don't know how I'm going to get this dirt bike up here you know? <laughs> and, uh, made it through the trail, um, camped out that night. And, uh, you know, we, we sat up against those granite rocks that had been sitting in the sun all day when it got cold out. It's like, uh, close to 8,000 feet up there and uh cold at night always you know but the rocks were warm we laid up against the granite rocks and uh you know watched the stars we drank hot tang believe it or not while the adults had beverages around the campfire and I was like dude this is rad and so became very apparent for me when I was 16 what the first car was going to be I wanted a jeep so we could go do the same stuff and uh it's crazy I still have the same jeep and took my kids camping in it um just the other day yeah, where is uh, where's you said Barrett Lake? Is that what it is? Yeah, it's it's uh it's one of the trails that's kind of near where the Rubicon is. So you got like you got the Rubicon, and then on the other side of the highway is uh, Fordyce Jeep Trail, which is where my cabin's like right right next to, so I can go wheeling out of there. Um, and Barrett Lake's uh, a trail that's it used to be open a lot more, but it's uh, it's tricky because there's you know seasonal closures in the summer for the. Uh, the water and the valleys and everything that run off into the meadows and so they they only open it for a short period of time so it's not as well known um as some of the other trails but you know super good wheeling trail and just beautiful and then you know i'm i like going wheeling to get to the campground and everything and then you can go hike up to uh where an airplane crashed like an actual uh army airplane and I went up there just a few years ago with my co-driver um, and a friend of mine, Phil Paziak, and we actually took one of the big pieces of the airplane and we picked it up, and uh, it still had the big star like you'd find on the side of a. It's kind of like the the heritage you see on some of the race cars that try to be like the bombers. It was still perfectly intact, and we obviously we put it back just the way we found it so that it would be preserved. But it's really cool to go for those hikes up there and uh, nice. you know do fun stuff while you're camping instead of just sitting around the campfire drinking beer, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, you did this when you were were younger as a teenager, and what was your first motorcycle? I guess. Um. So that's a good question. I I had parents that weren't weren't like didn't want me to have dirt bikes. My mom's like, if you want a dirt bike, you got to buy your own when you turn eighteen. But you're not going to have one at my house. So I rode my buddy's dirt bikes all the time, and uh, he got me super into it. And then obviously, when you're eighteen, you can't afford to buy a dirt bike. So. Um, 
you know, I started working and uh, I worked, you know, basically probably I went to college for one year or actually one and a half years. And then my dad called and he said, Hey, he had started a new company and he needed help. Uh, and so he's like, can you come home from college and help me for a little bit? So I did. And you know, the drill, like you go to work and you start making money and you're like, okay, I can buy cool stuff. And, um, you know, it was, it was a great little, you know, time to go riding. And so I started riding dirt bikes like every weekend I bought an RM250. Um, the guy that was a friend of my girlfriend's was a, a professional motorcycle racer. He was doing X, um, doing all the GNCC races mm -hmm. and uh, he was a multi-time champion, Rodney Smith. And so we would go riding at Stony Ford and places like that. And, you know, it was cool because he's actually a big influencer. Like uh, Steve Hatch was uh, his teammate and we all live locally and we we're all friends and everything. But um, Rodney Smith was just, I mean, dude, I remember when he got some new bikes from Suzuki and they were like DR three fifties. They were kind of like crappy moto bikes, but they were dual sports. And he got two of them and he's like, Hey, you want to go ride these? I'm like, sure. And so I'm whipping through the woods in this thing. And it's like a tank, right? Inverted for it. It's terrible. Like from a performance standpoint, but I'm pushing it as hard as I could. And he comes alongside me through the woods, like not on the trail, but through the woods and buzzes by me. And all of a sudden the bike stops and I'm like, I'm giving a gas and it's going bra, you know, I'm like, <laughs> what the hell is wrong? And he stops like 50 feet in front of me and he takes the keys and he throws them back at me. He had reached over while we was ripping through the woods, grabbed the keys out of the ignition and start turning the bike off. I was like, Oh my God, you're that fast. Like to be <laughs> that much better, you know? Uh, and it, but it showed you, you know, like if you're really, if you're really going to try to be that good, you got to be, you know, able to do stuff like that. And, um, you know, I can barely at that time I could barely keep up in the, on the trail. He's off the trail through the woods, grabbing stuff off. It was like, damn, you know? So, um, but that was, that was my first bike was an RM 250. And then, uh, now, I didn't go too long until I was riding um, dirt bikes with the same friend that got me into the uh, Jeep stuff, and his mom had an old trials bike, and uh, we got it started after a long day of riding up in the mountains, and we decided, you know, we were, like, literally drinking beers and got this bike started, and then started kind of doing wheelies over a log, and then a couple of rocks and a log, and then getting into it, and uh, like I said, we were, you know, both working and everything, so we made a deal that night that we both go buy new trials bikes, and, you know, he got into it a little bit, but I was hooked, like, hook, line, and sinker, that trials bike, that was my jam, and, you know, I was competing in the Sacramento pit, like, right out of the gate, it was like, okay, I want to go out and you know, get good at this stuff and then go compete. So I started competing, um, like really heavily in it Yeah. and, you know, moved my way up the ranks in it. And, uh, I loved it. And then a friend of mine, um, Bob Rice, he, he said, Hey, I'm doing this, uh, you know, and all the long, I was in a Jeep club and we'd go wheeling, but there was no competitions, right? This was like, the late 90s right like 96 97 98 gotcha. all that area i was you know <clears throat> right riding four times a week and five times a week whatever you know going to the um track on the weekdays and then riding in the woods on the weekends and stuff um and <clears throat> he said hey would you come do this rock crawling competition with me i need somebody that understands you know, how the gates work and how, you know, like points work for like a dab on a trials bike is when you put your foot down, but it's the same as like, if you back up, you know, they used to take a point if you back up on the Jeep stuff. Yeah. Kind of like, like we rock. Yeah. Spotter. I got yeah. you. And I was like, dude, I'll be your spotter. It'll be fun. You know? So we drove to like Farmington, New Mexico, I think was the first one I went to with them. And, um, 
we competed, you know, against against Tracy Jordan and Don Robbins and all these, you know, guys that were like the top guys in the sport right then, you know, instantly. Um, and with my friend, Jeff Mello, who you oh. know, was in my Jeep club. And uh, that's a, that's a name I, was, I haven't heard in a long time. Jeff Mello. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Jeff's one of my best buddies in the world, dude. Um, that's, that's awesome. You know, he, uh, he's got like so many wins and that, but he was in a different class. He was in the, the stock mod class and we were in like the, unlimited class or whatever and we didn't mean to be we just happened to have had i think at the time if you had aftermarket suspension mm -hmm. you had to race the other class we didn't know that when we showed up so they were in like a, a a yj with 35 inch tires and we're competing against you know tracy jordan with 44 inch tires and rear steer right <laughs> and i think we actually got the best score on a couple of obstacles which was like okay we can do this right and uh I was hooked on that as well. Took the same Jeep that I had from when I was 16 and started, uh, you know, cutting it up and, and turning it into a competition Jeep. And the next year, uh, I started doing the Cal Rock series with Big Rich. Yeah. And uh, oh, I didn't I know I, Big Rich was part of Cal Rocks. I didn't know that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Big Rich. Uh, Big Rich was Cal Rocks. Yeah. It was before Glenn took it back over, and, and for a period of time, it was uh, it was big, and uh, he you know, had these events. We had one um, at, a, at an event down kind of in the Apple Valley, Johnson Valley area, like at a, at a um, kind of a weird, like little place right off the side of the road. You all, we all drive by it all the time when we're going out to um, the Hammers, but it wasn't, I wasn't at the Hammers this first one. And I think, you know, I got last place. Like I literally think I got last place at the event. I had a 304 V8 with a carburetor. The exhaust wouldn't fit when I sprung it over. So it was like open headers didn't run very well. So it sounded awesome. Um, you know, terrible, like T18 with like a regular, you know, uh, Dana 20 transfer case and it wouldn't, the gearing was too tall. The thing was too short. Like nothing was really good for the competition side of it at all, but I had it right. <laughs> so, you know, and it, it started like all the stuff though, like, I needed to learn how to build a cage and I needed to learn how to weld. And I needed, I mean, I, I bought like the steel do it yourself beadlock kit and, uh, you know, welded them up in my driveway. And like, I think three out of four of them leaked. So, um, my buddy from down the street, Dave came by and he's like, let me show you how to do it. So he's teaching me how to weld. And, you know, that one Jeep, like that I still have to this day went from that to like, all right, I want to get more serious about this. And I really like the fabrication side. Um, you know, I, like, I enjoyed it, and it was fun to learn, right? There was uh, nobody in my family, not really my group of friends that were into building stuff at that time. You know, a lot's changed since then, but, mm -hmm. like, at that time, it wasn't, like, the thing to do. Um, you know, there was shops that people went to, but it wasn't do-it-yourself. And so I actually signed up and went to the Lincoln Electric Welding School in Cleveland and learned how to, like, TIG weld. Um, came home. Jeff Mello bought a tubing bender. Um brought it over to my house and I built up a cage uh, out of chromoly and <clears throat> it wasn't the prettiest thing ever but it was fun to do um, <laughs> that's awesome and you know I remember going to Farmington for the super crawl that year and, and doing well but like making friends with a lot of people that was like 2002 I think 2001 was the last event at Donner Ski Ranch my jeep was all done I had put a, a fuel injected motor in it and uh you know, five speed, like more traditional manual and an Atlas and, um, just, just the little details, you know, getting the cage in it, getting the seats and seat belts mounted, right. And, you know, all the little stuff. And we went out there and, and we won the Donner event. So that was our first win was like 
the last event of the same season that we started and got last. So like we made yeah. a big, a big leap, you know, and, and that year, like we went to Supercrawl, I saw tiny, I think like in the parking lot and was like, Oh my God, that's badass. Like that thing is crazy. And I remember people walking by and be like, oh, some dude brought a, a Volkswagen bug out here and they think they're going to compete or a dune buggy or whatever they saw said. And I was like, a dune buggy, that thing is like the most incredible creation for the sport I've ever seen in my life, you know? So it's all what you see, I guess, when you look at stuff, you know, and I was totally impressed by what I saw and, 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 you know, John Nelson was there and everything. They wouldn't want to like share anything, right. They were mm -hmm. very competitive and that was that desert in influence side that mm -hmm. was, you know, there. And, and it makes me to this day still remember why King of the Hammers and 4,400 or whatever you want to call it or ultra four, I guess not just our class. Every class has a different jam than like some of the desert stuff where in short course where it's like, you know, stay out of my pit. I don't want you to see what we're doing. Yeah. And, you know that yeah. that vibe i think is why our sport's grown yeah. to be what it is we're welcoming to the guys that want to start i mean literally we'll help anybody you know and um i think that all started in my opinion with the campbells to the point where you know shannon would say i'll build you a car i'll be able to do the same car i'll sell you my car i don't care if we have the same junk i'll still go out there and race you and that attitude that like you know i'm not hockey and i'm not going to protect all my trade secrets but we're going to go out there and race and let's see who's better is a way healthier way than you know we came up with something and we're gonna put a put a uh you know well the, cover the, on the car every time you see it the so. sport the sport tends to um accelerate a lot faster when people work together um, for sure and and that that's one thing i love about ultra four and i've i've been a part of it I, I guess since 2000, 2011, somewhere around in there is when I started really getting into the sport and actually talking to the racers and the drivers. That's when I started traveling with, uh, with Derek West, of course. And, uh, he kind of got me into it. And then I ended up announcing for a few years at KOH. And the cool thing is, is it, it, if I had a media vest on, or if I didn't, it didn't matter who you were. If you walked into their pit and as long as they weren't, knee deep in oil or whatever, doing whatever they had to do. They were willing to sit there and talk to you. They didn't care who you were. Yeah. And that's one yeah. thing I love about KOH and I hope it never changes. Um, I haven't been out to KOH in the past three years. I'd love, I, I need to go back this year, which I'm on, I'm kind of on the mission to try to make it that way. Um, but so you ran Cal Rocks, you took uh, the Donner, the Napa in 2002 yeah. And I'm basically, lo I'm, I'm looking at your website that you've got. So, so Napa's a trip. Um, the Napa event was an event that I, I just remember showing up and some guy looking at our Jeep because it was like, it was literally a CJ5 on 35 inch tall tires, right? Mm -hmm. He's all, dude, you're not going to make it through the course in that. And, you know, the, that was from all the guys with like 44s and, you know, Rockwells and, and all that. And I was like, yeah, we'll see. You know, and, and I wasn't sure. <laughs> I was like, you might be right. We'll see. Um, but, you know, we went on and we won that. That event was, uh, dude, that was the first rock race. That was before the XXRA days. That was before, you know, anyone decided they wanted to go fast to the rocks. And I always look back at that thing and I'm like, dude, that was the the event. I don't think a lot of people saw it, but that was the event that the Kleins watched. And I think they were like, huh, you know, Rich Klein, big. Yeah. And I think he was like, that's, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty cool. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, um, 
it didn't come until a little bit later that my buddies all wanted to go fast in the rock. So Tom Ways had a uh, Trent Fab buggy and my buddy Greg Hussey uh, built a, a car in his garage and <clears throat> they, they would get to the trail and they would just peel out. You know, they would literally <laughs> drive through the trail as fast as they could and people were like blown away. I mean, you got to remember at the same time this is going on, guys are competing about how many like transfer cases they've stacked together from Marlin crawler that they can go as slow as they can go. And so there's competitions about how slow your rig crawls and we're going as fast as we can through the trail. And it's like polar opposites. And we're the hula. So like we're, we're out there <laughs> and people are giving us the stink eye for driving fast. And I'm like, this is badass. Like, this is really, you know, cool. Now I don't want to tear up anything on like, you know, the lands and stuff like that. And, but it wasn't about that. It was just like, why does it need to take two days to get through the Rubicon trail or something? Right. Let's just go through it and then go camp and drink beer by the river, you know? And you're like, yeah, what the hell's wrong with the whole Jeep crowd? So it wasn't bad. I still think there's a lot of fun to just throwing it and, you know, granny low and calling through the trail and everything, but it's a lot faster and more efficient just to roll through it. So yeah, the cars are so much better now. It's just a different world, you know, but that was the first of it. That was the first of all the, the go fast stuff. And it didn't take, you know, but more than five or six years and it was starting to turn into something. Yeah. You did, uh, you did Cal rocks till, uh, looks like 2004 and then you moved on yeah. to pro rock got, and U rock. And these are all, these are all cone dodging, correct? They're all cone dodging. Correct. Small stuff. They're all cone dodging. Um, a lot of things were going on. The rules obviously got really complicated, right? Stock mod, the rules opened up, you know, Cody Wagner was competing with us. Like there's a lot of guys that are still in it today. Oh, four eyes. There's a ton yeah. of guys. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. Cody Wagner. <laughs> yeah, he's a good dude. Um, you know, we all hung out with him because Lindsay was cool, but <laughs> was this recorded? No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> no, he was great. His dad was cool. You know, we always had fun at the events with him and everything. And, um, you know, we'd go, we'd go compete, you know, it was, it was, it was good times because you were, you're trying to win. And, um, I think our highlight event, well, something happened and that was a good Jeff Mello tie in. So, U rock was going on and I had had a car built by Schaefer. Um, it didn't really get done in time. So I didn't run a lot of the U rock events, but it wasn't a big deal. Um, we did get to go up and win one of them in Fernley or something that, or maybe that was a Cal rocks event, but either way in my new buggy, because I had Schaefer build a buggy when the Jeep class kind of got turned into like too much of a buggy. And I didn't really want to cut my Jeep apart and make it a buggy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was working and I figured I could, buy the buggy and, and keep my Jeep and have, you know, something that I can keep nice instead of having to make it just destroyed all the time. And because <clears throat> I still wanted to go trail wheeling, right? So if you're competing in it and it's broken all the time, you can't do both. So I was like, huh, what do I do here? And so I, I made that decision. And uh, then UROC basically changed and said, look, we're going to have a pro class. And it's interesting because, you know, I think we're kind of rolling up on a time in our series, we'll end up with a pro class, but it, it has some downfalls. And I was one of the people who took the downfall. Um, and he said, okay, you're going to be called a pro based on how you did last year in the series. And I was like, well, wait a second. I ran Cal rocks. I could run any series. I was planning on running your series next year. Cause now I got a car, but they wouldn't let me in. So I'm winning Cal rocks events, but not able to run the U rock pro series because I didn't have the points to qualify. So Jeff Mello's like, dude, that sucks. I'm sorry. I don't have a buggy, but I qualified. <laughs> I'm like, well, that seems like a perfect storm. Here, drive my buggy. 
prep it for me so I can run the Pro West or whatever they called it. No, the Western, like the amateur hour series, right? But it was still a lot of good dudes that just didn't make the cut because of the way they did their their points. And and then I'll get myself pointed into the UROC series for next year by doing that. So he ran with one livery. He had the Skyjacker deal. So he would basically reskin the car and prep it and go run in the in the UROC Pro Series. And then we'd skin it back for my stuff and I would run the, the West. And so we did and UROC and Pro Rock and all that. We were we were going twenty four weekends a year, you know, Jeez. to events. So we did twenty four events and, and I mean uh, rock calling was so much better, right? You bend a link here and there. You got to replace the power steering pump and change the oil every once in a while, airlocker seals, stuff like that. But you weren't like doing what we're doing now, right? So the cars were lasting a little better. I mean, every once in a while, you got to do some tube work when you make a mistake, but mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't like KOH prep where you're basically building a car every time you go out and run it. And so, you know, that, that was a lot more fun for 24 weekends a year, but still a ton of hours of time behind the wheel, you know, and they were Saturday, Sunday events. And, um, it made us a little more hardcore because, you know, you compete on Sunday until five o'clock, you jump in the car and we would drive sometimes 13, 14 hours and I have to be at work. And you're like, Holy crap, you know, uh, I got to be able to do it all. And so it was, it wore on you, but it made us, you know, a little bit tougher, I think for being able to, to prep cars and not be like worried about it, you know, all that stuff that's come up, when you're racing at the hammers and all that, all the ultra four races where they're, they're, uh, a lot more work on the, on the, you know, grind side of it than just the the car, but it's good. So anyway, but yeah, I noticed that you, you took pro rock champion 2006, 2007, and then you went on to king of the hammers champion. Oh, no, I take that back. I missed one. Baja 1000 class 17. Um, what was your experience with Baja 1000? Uh, my favorite day of racing is probably King of the Hammers win, but really, it, before that, before like the size of that, the most exciting day was when we had the last, we didn't know it at the time, but it was the last ever UROC event, and it was in Farmington, Chokecherry Canyon, and we also had the Pro Rock event the same weekend. Well, Pro Rock was a Saturday-Sunday event, mm-hmm. and I couldn't go on Saturday because the UROC race was on Saturday. It was a one-day event. The only time they ever did a one-day event, but it was a one-day event. And so we went out on Saturday. Well, first of all, Friday night, Lance Clifford was my spotter. My father-in-law, Steve-O, flew in. We partied in my trailer, race trailer, until four in the morning, until people told us to turn our music off. Um, (laughs) Because we were singing it at the top of our lungs out in front of the truck. right? Like all Oakland rap. We were were hilarious back then, dude. Um, We won. So we got up... (laughs) We got up in the morning, two hours of sleep, and we, we won. And then on the last obstacle, we pulled the car into the trailer and drove from Farmington to Johnson Valley to Cougar Buttes. Jumped in there. We had missed the first day of the event. We still had enough points. We got into the final or whatever. We won that. So we won an event we'd missed a day on. And I guess the first day was really hard, and everybody was, like, 40 out on the courses and not finishing them. So we weren't that far behind in points. So we got there Sunday morning after being road-weary, jumped in there, won the event. That gave us the championship. So I basically came home that night on Sunday night with three trophies. Uh, we almost died on I-5 on the way home because my father-in-law was driving and went into the center divide. <laughs> it was gnarly. Lance was sleeping in the trailer, and the trailer was sideways to the road, and the cabinets were open, and the <laughs> shit was flying out of the cabinets and he thought he was a goner he's like this is how i'm gonna go <laughs> he swears to this day there's a cow in the middle of the road but there's no way it was like an illusion from being up for three days <laughs> so we survived that one and uh 
you know, it was uh, it was a pretty cool deal. But right after that, so Lance was getting uh, to do some co-driving with Pistol Pete, and he had bought a Jeep Speed. We had been racing Jeep Speed for a couple of years, and me as his co-driver, it was perfect trade. Like I would co-drive for him in a race, you know, and then he was spotting for me, and we were having so much fun together. Like our, my wife hated us; we were just like wild you know, wild banshees together, dude. We just partied so much and had so much fun. But we were living life, you know, and we were having right. a great time with it. Um, Mike Schaefer had a Jeep Speed, and I got to be part of that. They went down there. I don't know. It's pretty cool. They went down there and won three Baja 1000s in a row in Class 17. I got lucky to be part of one of them. Um, and, you know, in 2007, uh, Lance was co-driving for Pistol Pete. And he said, dude, buy the seat. In the, and, you know, there's two seats, two passenger seats, and Pete sits in the middle on that three-seat geyser truck. He's like, buy the seat. It's five grand. It's so worth it. Do it. And I was like, oh, my God. All right. So I bought the seat and got to drive or got to ride in a trophy truck. Um, and it's a great story. But, you know, essentially, like, Pete and I solidified a, a friendship in that thing because, you know, when you go to Baja and race together, like you become brothers no matter what, but we had some stuff happening and it worked out really good. Like he was stoked on me and I was pumped to be part of it. And we finished fourth, um, in trophy truck, which was cool, but it gave me like an education that you almost can't get until you go ride in a trophy truck for, you know, 18 hours. And you're like, okay, I see what cars are capable of because before that, like you're riding in a Jeep speed, you're like, I can't believe these things don't break in half, <laughs> but you have no idea what the trophy trucks are doing until you're in them. And, you know, I'm sure I've driven them now. They're even further along than they were back then. But, um, you know, it gave me an idea. So then I rode with Jeff Mello four months later. So 2007, November is the Baja 1000. Four months later is February. It, the hammers for the 2008 king of the hammers i was the co-driver for jeff Mello, and it was the opposite of a trophy truck but it was everything i liked right it was the rock side but right. we got to go to the desert and i mean there's there's no bsing about it everyone wants to race a trophy truck right right i just knew it was an, a, a pipe dream because you know i there was no way i was going to be able to afford to do it especially not you know, with no sponsors and really no racing heritage that would ever work my way into it at that point. So when I saw King of the Hammers, I was like, dude, this is it. This is rock crawling and desert racing. It's everything I wanted to do. The technical side, the go fast side, it's all in one. And I was like, this is perfect. So I went to Shannon Campbell and I said, dude, I want to build a car with, you know, lightweight axles, um, spider tracks, you know, axles, um, and an LS7 that rips and, you know, build it light but with, you know, all the suspension. And at the time, I wanted to be able to do rock crawling at the same time. And we tried, and it was like, it was the wrong car. It just wouldn't rock crawl. And then I went to the Hammers, and it really wouldn't go through the desert. So I turned around, I went back to Schaefer. Uh, he had a guy named Bill Coons, the guy that uh, started Torchmate. Mm -hmm. Bill, he had, Bill had purchased a Class 7 truck, and it drove really good. So we basically copied the rear suspension. Jesse Haynes helped. He was uh, working around there at the time, and we cut the car apart that we had just finished and basically three-linked the rear with a wishbone. I guess that's the right way to say it. We wishboned the rear. It's a four-link, I guess, but it's a wishbone. Gotcha. And trailing arms, and it was good enough in the desert to go down there. I remember calling Fox, Todd at Fox, and I was like, dude, I need some bypasses and coilovers for the rear. And he's like, you're going to try to drive that thing through the desert? <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> Come on, Todd. He's like, you got to buy them, bro. I'm not, I can't help you out on that stuff. And I was like, all right. So we bought all the stuff and 
I wouldn't say that in 09 it was leaps and bounds better, but after, you know, the race we won at 09, we won the 2009 race, and then I spent, like, we went down there, like, 11 times between that race and um, the next year, because we couldn't, there was no rock crawling, really, um, that we were going to do in that car, and there wasn't any other part of the series, right? They didn't really have an Ultra Force series at the time, so I raced a few races at, like, uh, Prairie City for the Vora stuff, but there was nothing else going on. So we got the car super good. And in 2010, um, you know, we were really like, we were way fast and when and we broke that wishbone and, you know, it was just one of those deals where like, you know, it wasn't meant to be. And then it just, you know, the car basically was good, but not good enough to beat Shannon. And I kind of quit. I basically was like, all right, you know, I raced 2011, um, and I knew, like I just said, I had, I had an event, right? There was, there was a race with Shannon, Shannon and I, nobody ever knows this stuff, but Shannon and I raced after we, I got past kind of winch back door. And then from then on, we had one lap left and we raced as hard as we could. And my car basically couldn't keep up with Shannon. It was going into limp mode from overheating. And, you know, I lost a rear end, which I was losing them all the time. Cause I had those dips in there upside down and nothing would just hold up to the abuse. And so when you get to the point where you're like, well, the car isn't capable of winning and I can't afford to build a new car. You, you have a tough decision to make. Like you want to be a second, third, fourth place guy. I think we got, you know, into that mode where I was like, dude, I don't want to go. if I'm not going to win. And that attitude has never changed. Like if I'm not capable of winning, it's not that appealing to go. And I don't want to sandbag and run a low end class or something either. I just want to go race the best of the guys and, and go do it. Cause that's the drive I have to, to race. And it's not like, uh, ego thing it's just that's all that appeals to me and gotcha so that makes you know, sense the, um, <laughs> yeah so i think you know i don't know where we left off exactly right there but no big deal um we basically you know walked away from it and i sold the car to a guy and i, I always remember that day it was like one of the hardest days ever i mean i i sold the car um good guy right and like he bought it and he was all stoked on taking you, it down there didn't you sell it to Corey kuchta is that right? Okay, so yeah, I was gonna mention him, but he didn't. I mean, he 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 drove it, he raced it, and I don't think he bought the car. His boss bought the car, awesome. and he was going to just take it down to the hammers with his buddies for his like New Year's or something trip. It was either New Year's or Thanksgiving or whatever. They went down there and just have the most badass buggy of all the guys that he goes down there with. And I think Corey drove it a few times, and he's all, dude, it's more than badass. This thing is incredible, and he started racing it, and uh, you know, he did great. He's those guys were good fabricators, good guys, really liked all of them, you know, so they built yeah. some cool cars and stuff since then. The the one thing that I remember, um, uh, I think uh, Tom Kingston from uh, from uh, Spider Trucks, Spider Trucks yeah. Yeah, yeah, he he took a picture of Corey racing it at the Nationals, I'm not sure, I think it was at Miller Motorsports Park, and he took a picture, and it was just rolling like crazy, the old car was just I think it might have been a Lucas regional race or something. Yeah, he. It was so scary. It well, and the car was a little scary, right? It was like 095 wall, one and a half inch tubing, and I mean that car was twenty nine hundred and fifty pounds, and it was one of those things where I was like, this sport was designed. This car was designed when the sport was going fifty through the whoops, claiming we were going sixty. And all of a sudden, it was going 70 through the whoops, even though everyone claimed we were going 80. And I'm like, I don't think this thing's supposed to roll over at 70 miles an hour, you know? That was a, that so, was a scary shot. I still have that that picture because I just save it just because it was one where he was in the middle of the air, 
and his hands are out and and the the window nets had broken off and i was like oh my gosh and i didn't know yeah. i didn't know that all but luckily i mean Corey was good I mean, and everything else so well he got lucky because the front end came down i think it ripped the front end out of the car and everything but that energy that it took to if it hadn't landed on those tires and, and side-loaded the axle and everything and instead it hit the cage, it might be a different, like, cool pick. You know what I mean? It might not be so cool. Um, but, it, you know, like, I think that he was smart. He did kind of the – like what Eric Miller did when he bought Joshim's car. He double-pillared the, you know, the C tube coming down or the B pillar or something. I forget how he did it exactly, but he basically strengthened up the chassis there and um, made it a little safer for the environment. But – I, I got a call right after that from Tom Allen. He goes, hey, Jason, and I always like Tom, right? He's helped me on steering stuff over the years and yeah, and everything. And um, I was I was going through parts, you know, left and right, just trying to, you know, the sport was developing. We didn't have it all figured out. And, you know, we were, we were guinea pig and stuff. And um, I just remember he calls me up and he goes, hey, so I built a car for Dean Bullock. But Dean's like, man, I don't want to drive. I don't want to prep a new car the old car is perfect right now i don't see the reason to go build try do it but it's all built you want to drive it and i'm like well what's the deal he's like you bring your helmet i'm like yeah that sounds cool how's the car because i don't like again i didn't want to go out there and be second place kind of car you know who knows how far back and he's like no it's capable it's got all the stuff and i'm like okay now it wasn't far from my old car it was just bigger and more horsepower and you know and ifs opponents well, no, it wasn't IFS. It was the big white one. Oh no, this okay. Like I'm thinking. I'm thinking you know? behind. And yeah. So we, we called it Whitey was what it got named or whatever. Adam Cher was awesome, man. Ryan Donaldson and um, Adam and I had so much fun together, dude. It was it was the real roller coaster of life, though, like real racing, because you know we'd go out and we'd lead the race. Like we'd led a couple of races. We won some stuff in it. We we got the pole at uh the chupacabra 300 down in texas against trophy trucks and like you know i mean literally like we won the pole with class one cars that race and score um i mean i realize it's not the fastest but jesse james is a badass and he had a full-blown geyser trophy truck and we beat him in the qualifying i was like that was cool you know what i mean yeah. so um but we led that race and we had like a 12 minute lead in that race, which is ridiculous, right? Here's a 4,400 car smoking all these guys, and we blew up the motor. And it wasn't from it wasn't from anything we did. Just the motor started losing oil pressure, and there you go, right? Yep. So it was the ups and downs of racing. And we did uh, we led the Ultra Four race at Glen Helen, uh, like a lap to go or two laps to go or something. It was on time, so it's hard to you know exactly figure out. But probably had to run another solid lap or something. And uh, the, like rear axle housing just broke the weld on the hub and hub fell off and <laughs> dragged it around on three tires for about half a lap until the link started to come apart and it was like damn so we had this like the highest of highs like we qualified on the pole for king of the hammers and then you know the next year i qualified like last right like it was just up and down up and down up and down and <laughs> motor issues and you name it and so you know we just had a rough road but we built that car and the my ifs car the one that went from me to Tom Ways to now Mike Boo and I love that car that car was like such a it was such a cool car because I was I called up Roy at Pro-Am and you know he said yeah send me the money so we called him like over and over again with the money and he's he wouldn't get back to us 
and like literally wouldn't let us buy the front end that he had built for Shannon and everything. And I was like, damn, this guy's not going to get back to us or he's not going to sell it to us. I can't figure out which one. So I was like, shit, we can do this. So we built it. And, um, this kid named Dallas Lund, which is Tim Lund's son was going to school at yep. university of Oregon. He was learning SolidWorks, And I was like, Hey, you know, Tim called me and he's like, Hey, are you, are you building all this stuff yourself? And I was like, yeah, dude, I'm basically just going to cut it out on my bandsaw. And he's like, well, my son will draw up all the stuff. If you want to show him what you want, he'll draw it up in SolidWorks. We can get all water jet. And I was like, really? So we went through and I'm glad we did because instead of hand making everything, it was all perfect. Everything fit perfectly. And the kid was awesome. Right. And he's gone on to do way better stuff. He got a job with Nike. I mean, he literally made like a FIFA yeah. soccer ball. Like the dude is solid and is super badass. Yeah. And he, yeah. He really like went a long ways and stuff, but take Tim um, and Dallas are good people, man. They're I'm, yeah. I'm good friends with, with Tim. I've been out with him for a while and, and that's yeah. a, that's a wild West motorsports IFS front end that you got. And it, yeah. It, yep. And it's and, proven, dude. It's it works yeah, well. Oh, that car was as nimble as any car ever. And then all we did on my new car was just, you know, basically copied it, but made a couple of changes that I wanted to make. You know, and it, I think a lot of times people think we had a ton of money and we were in this sport and we had all this shit. It's like, dude, we couldn't even afford to buy the CVs until like we had gotten the car done. And when I got the outer CV, which was like a, it's called a Rezeppa, right? It's non-plunging. I was like, damn, they turn way farther than the internet said they did. And so I hadn't even gotten the car on its own tires yet. And I already knew I could build a better car before we were done with it, which is a tricky thing because I knew I could make it steer tighter. And, you know, the way I designed it, it would only go about 32 degrees. And so I was like, okay, you know, for the next one, right, shelf, shelf that for now, but keep working on this one. And, and like I said, you know, that car was, that car was super cool. Um, and Tom decided to focus on his son's racing career. So he bowed out of the sport, sold the car, and I didn't have the money to buy it at the time. And then um, and we had a good a good run, but we didn't have the success maybe in the finishes that we should have had. Mm -hmm. um, I can tell you honestly, that was probably one of those years in racing where I was never tired on the drive home from the track, no matter where we were in the country, because my frustration level was so high that I literally could retrack every step that cause the failures and try to figure out how to make them better and i'd show up at my door and i'm like damn i'm home already <laughs> you know because <laughs> it was i was so intense about it and it was the ultimate frustration like it's it's brutal to be in that position you know and um <clears throat> they were like transmission issues and they're only so brutal because we were leading the race right we we led like i think every race that season if i recall correctly and broke every time yeah and i mean there's part of you that thinks maybe you're like you know, a joke because you can't get, you can't seal the deal. And, but it, I knew I wasn't driving the car too hard. I knew I wasn't making any mistakes. Like, it wasn't like I was hitting stuff and ripping arms off. I was losing transmissions like over and over and over. And the guy's like, I've never seen a band wear out like this. Like, you're downshifting it at too high RPM. And I'm like, I'm not even downshifting it at that high RPM. Like, I'm being so gentle to it. I'm lifting between every shift and I'm never like doing anything I can't, you know, I'm not doing anything to this transmission. And, you know, as it turned out, it was one bad part. We had bought a 300M input shaft for the transmission, and it was out around by, like, 40 thousandths, and it would just pound the bushings out of the transmission. Like, the transmissions were junk that were coming out of it. And finally, we got a new guy. It's actually the guy that helped uh, Dennis Reed build the Reed case and everything. Mm -hmm. And he put that shaft on his uh, 
lathe when he was getting ready to check everything. He's like, oh my God, this thing's junk. And I'm like, no, that thing's 300 M. It's badass. And he's like, no, 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 this thing is junk. It's completely bent. And I was like, oh my God, that is the one part that is carried over through like three transmission cases, four drop, like everything. And it caused all the issues, but it's good to find it. It's just frustrating season because we had so many wins that were taken away from us, you know, like right. brutal, right? Or yeah. the sport would have a lot different, you know, set of things, but that's racing and that's how it works. So, you know, I accept that and everything, but it was frustrating. Um, and then sort of sad events, but I took the most out of them that I could, you know, it wasn't easy, but my mom passed away and oh. she had a hundred thousand dollars in her thing that she gave uh, my brother and I. So we got $50,000 a piece. And I sat there and I looked at it and I'm like, ah, you know, what should I do with this? And like, you know, there's part of you, it's like, I should invest this. I should do something nice for the kids, put it in their college fund, do something. And I was like, I woke up and I was like, dude, she'd want me to do something that, you know, chase a dream, do something with it, not just sit on it. So I made the decision to build the car and uh, I didn't have time. It was like probably November 25th that I made that decision she passed away like a few days before that mm -hmm. but I didn't have a car Tom was out of the sport and there was no way I was gonna be able to pull it right um like there's no way you can build a car between then and the hammers and, and have it done when you haven't even like started the idea of getting it built so um about that time Lance Clifford's car wasn't finished that he had built uh, well actually he hadn't built it but uh Dan Trout had built and so I was like hey Lance if I get your car finished out, can I race it? So 2014, we raced Lance Clifford's car and dude, it was actually a badass car. Um, it had some tuning issues in the computer, so we didn't qualify super well, but we started around 25th or something and we moved all the way up to the front of the pack and that thing pretty quickly. And unfortunately, just, you know, like I said, lack of prep, it, uh, lost like some parts in the front end like the cvs or something had no grease in them at all it wasn't their fault like <laughs> but they just failed the first time we touched a rock on the in the car and I, the first time we touched the rocks in the car it had no four-wheel drive basically i was like okay those things smoked themselves across the desert before we ever got to the trail so we were broken at the beginning of aftershock <laughs> wow and that yeah. was uh that was definitely the worst ultra four race like we ever had we didn't even make, make it a lap down there but anyway um Built but the car. You and, went. Uh, you yeah. went. You went all the way from that to. You you built a new car and it was a one seater, and then you changed it to a two seater. Can you explain why you did sure. that? So it's super cool because, like, you know, I was building this car in my head while we're at the hammers, and you know, I I we played with the layout Dallas was super cool. Cause it, you know, he was really good with solid works and we had built it originally as a front. I wanted to build basically a pro four. Ironically, it was almost identical to the, the red dragon. Gotcha. And then at the last minute I was like, you know, if I build it with the rear engine setup, I could put a passenger seat in it, but I don't want to do that right now because I don't think that's the best car for the sport. And it wasn't at the time. The sport didn't need, a guy hopping out and winching three or four times during the race because you had tire balls. You weren't going up the um, back door every time. The trails were getting easier. The race wasn't that long. And so all in all, the single seat setup made sense. And if, you know, I wanted low center of gravity, so I put the radiator where the passenger was. I mean, there was nothing 
that was mounted in that car, <clears throat> you know, above the dashboard. And like, you know, we knew where the center of gravity was in the car. So every time we were adding something, we we're always trying to make sure we we're adding it below the center of gravity line. Like, you know, whatever it was, I just wanted it down and low. And uh, it ended up being a car with like no polar moment. It was a little twitch, but it was fun when we got done with it. And then, you know, the rules changed. The car was quick, like it won poles and it was fast. Yeah, you, um, always, you always hit on pole. I can always say that, that you were always on pole, but... Um, but keep on going. I'm sorry. I'm just... Oh, no, no, no. Dude, <laughs> it's, it's just one of those things where I was like, yeah, that fast and good pole positions doesn't equate to, you know, trophy rooms full of trophies. So, um, you know, we were, we're still, we're having little bugs and, and, you know, things like sort of out of your control, you know, you're rolling the jackhammer and the trails is packed up with cars and stuff. You're like, <laughs> okay, you know, you make some mistakes with uh, little things, but every one of the steps, and this is like my favorite thing is every one of those little steps like that went wrong has turned out to be, we've turned it around to be something good. Um, you know, I, I, the radiator cap kind of failed on the car in 2015. And I was like, dude, there's gotta be a better way. So I, I went and looked, like, why do we have radiator caps on these things? Like, how dumb is it that a radiator cap for 12 bucks can take you out of the race because it's not staying sealed? And so I was like, hmm. So I found this company, CNR Racing, and they make a pressurized radiator system that doesn't have a cap, so you don't have to worry about it losing fluid. And it keeps pressure on the cylinder heads and all this stuff with water, so you're not boiling in your heads and stuff. And I'm like, this is badass. So I buy one, and we put it in the car, and it works great. And, you know, we continued racing success. The next thing you know, CNR is sponsoring us and taking care of all of our coolers. And, you know, I'm working with them on marketing stuff and getting them into new distributors and everything. You're like, this is cool. Like, this is the part of racing that's rad. You know what I mean? Um, and all those sponsorships from all the, you know, stuff have grown because of, you know, developing products and, and showing people like, you know, what we're doing, which it doesn't happen in a lot of the other sports because they're afraid to let everyone know what they're doing. But like those little things are what we always trying to take away. So anytime I have a parts failure, like you'll never hear me blame the manufacturer. You'll never hear me blame because it's it always comes back down to you. Like you chose that part. You're running that part. You got to know what it's good for, what its lifespan is like, you know, Adam that came on in uh, 2017, Adam McGow, my crew chief, he's He's like incredible because what I lacked in like mechanical ability, he makes up for a hundred times and he's so sharp and his mind is so good about, you know, the proper thing. Like he knows what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And so he's always trying to get us there. And, you know, ever since he came aboard, like he's basically, I mean, there's been times where he told me I was zip tying shit wrong and like stood, quit <laughs> zip tying stuff. And I'm like, damn, dude, I literally am not allowed to work on my car. <laughs> so, you know, he's awesome. And, and I think that, you know, he took us to that level to where the car was finishing the races. Like we might have been able to drive it. The car might have been good enough, but we weren't getting the finishes. And, uh, you know, it's Adam is the reason that we've been getting there. And so, you know, but it all takes, it takes all sides. And that whole thing came together because we went down to Baja to do a deal with, you know, the class 11 car with, uh, with, you know, rugged radios and JT Taylor and, you know, just a group of guys we went all down there and, um, tried to race that class 11 car and Adam showed up on his own dime to come down from Ohio and wanted to see the Baja and do the whole thing. And the next thing you know, we hit it off down there and, he moved into a camper in my backyard for six months and we worked on race cars until he got his own place out there. And, um, you know, now he's like my best friend and works on the car with me and stuff. So it's crazy how, 
it all goes together like that. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, that's nope. the good, that's the cool part of racing, you know, is getting to do all this crazy stuff and, and the friendships along the way. Well, yeah, very much. And it, and honestly, you usually just, you usually just follow the West coast of ultra four, correct? Yeah. You know, those few years with Tom Allen, I got to go back and do Roush Creek and, and races, you know, I, I, man, I actually took this car and did, uh, did that one in uh, Hot Springs, Arkansas, and that was so cool. Uh, I was super bummed when they didn't have that race, but I know it'll come back someday, maybe. But you know, yeah. it's just I, I'd love to do them all, and I think maybe people don't understand that. I'd like to do them all. Yeah, I just can't. I can't pull it all off. Well, I've got uh, financially, and not to mention you can't you can't be in two places at one time. Which I'm amazed at the people that are able to do both of those, both of the series, or and all that. It just it, it amazes me. Um, uh, I actually, you know, I don't know that I made the right choice all the time. Um, I don't know that I ever had an opportunity to jump off. I never got the sponsor that said, hey, if you go full time, you know, or I never asked either. And that's maybe my fault. I never asked them, hey, if I go full time at this, can you guys step up so I can do the whole series? And I'm I'm a little jealous of the of the fact that some of the other guys did. And I think it's going to really work out for them. Like, you know, they made the commitment to it and they deserve the reward. Um, and I mean that about Lauren, you know, mostly in that comment, I, I yeah. respect the shit out of him. And, uh, what? you know, he went, he went for it and he's gonna, I think he's going to reap the reward right now because I think the OEM side that's going to come into the sport is going to be huge. And there's nobody that deserves it more than the guys that put their heart and soul into it and committed to it because I didn't take the leap of faith and I don't deserve it as much as they do. Even if, uh, you know, even if, we've got some wins here and there and they don't there and there and everything. It's, it has nothing to do with that. He's been a full-time guy and he deserves it. Um, you know, and Shannon, likewise, like having the monster deals and all the deals they've got, like they deserve those, you know, they put their heart and soul into it. And here we're like a hobbyist racer. You yeah. Know? But yeah. And, and, and what really funny, I, I did a podcast with Levi a few months ago and I asked him what his full-time job was and he said racing. And I was like, oh, I should have just not said a word about it, but oh well. But yeah, Levi's full-time racing, Lauren's full-time racing, Shannon, I would say for the most part is full-time racing. Um, but that brings us back to how you got, how you were able to afford the racing that you're doing right now. Um, what do you do for a day job, man? Well, it's evolved quite a bit, you know. Um, I am definitely one of those people who has been in a lot of industries that have kind of maybe not gone, not continued. So when I was, uh, my grandfather too, right. My grandfather had a cigarette vending machine route and cigarette machines are like gone off the face of the planet. Right. So, um, my dad had worked for that cigarette vending machine and they bought a jukebox route and all that. And then he quit his job and started his own company, which is what we we run today and uh it was it's small but what we did was we did pay telephones and vending machines and video games really and the pay telephone thing obviously fell off but in the meantime we were busting it right i was i was the installer i i went out and poured concrete at one location and then go to the next location and run the conduit Mm -hmm. and climb the telephone poles and run the wires of the phones and run all the electrical and i absolutely loved it i had a, a you know myself and a couple of friends and uh from college and we basically you know, would go out and install payphones and get contracts. I'd sell the contract at the liquor store to get the guy to switch over or a gas station. Um, and I went from that to like going to the airports and I got San Francisco airport, San Jose, and Sacramento, like all the airports around us and put in all the phones. And, 
you know, they were doing great for, for years. And then that business just died off, obviously. Right. Mm -hmm. So we bought jukeboxes and then we went out and hustle in the bars, getting the bar owners to switch over to us. And then, you know, maybe buying the competitor. Like I bought about 13 competitors out from the industry that, you know, cause I learned how to, how to, you know, grow it, scale it from the payphone side. Cause we had a couple thousand payphones at one point, And then we got to 600 jukeboxes in the bars at every bar in the Bay area. Um, <laughs> but I was also growing the management side, which was doing the vending machines. I had contracts at Costco and, um, you know, family dollar doing ATMs and all these different things. And, and now I'm doing more ATMs and, Lately, it's been this new stuff with self-checkout kiosks for food service. So we're doing employee break rooms where we've got, you know, 150 or more employees in a place. And we'll put in a full, like, it looks like a mini market that we put inside it. And it's got a self-checkout kiosk. You go up there, stick your thumbprint. It's got a biometric reader on it. And it charges your account. And you get the products that you want, fresh sandwiches, salads, you know, any kind of drinks, coffees, whatever. And so it's just constantly evolving. But we are literally constantly hustling for that business. And I've got you know, a great group of people that have been with us. I mean, some of my employees have been around for 20 plus years. Um, good sales guys that are, you know, really high quality. Like we're not, we're not a BS company, not a fly by night guys. We're not huge, but we do a really good job of what we do. Um, it's a service business. So it's a little tricky because you got to rely on everybody when you go out of town for these races and like the hammers has been hard because they have gone for 12 to 14 days. And it's like, I, I'm the guy that's up at 5:30 in the morning working on emails and at 10 o'clock at night working on them to try to keep the business stuff rolling. And then we got to go out and pre-run the course and do all that stuff. Right. But it's like, everyone's like, Oh, you never party with us in the pits and you never do all this shit. I'm like, God, you don't have time, you know? So, you know, it's, it's tricky, but it's not like I don't want to, you know? Well, and you have so, a, you have a family as well. Um, Oh yeah. Uh, one kid or two, two kids. Uh, I got, you know, my daughter is 11 and she's super into horses and uh, she's as passionate about the horse stuff is, as I am about racing. And, and I don't mean it like she's, she loves it. She's totally entrenched in it. It's all she looks at on YouTube. It's all she writes about in her school papers. It's all she does when she's, you know, wake her up at 630 to go muck and feed the horses and she gets ready for school and then she comes home and she cleans them, and rides them and puts everything away drags the arena and you know it's it's like she's into it but i watched her go to the horse competition and i kind of went there passively like yeah we're at this horse event and all of a sudden i saw in her the game face where i was like oh shit this is the same thing that happens to me when the helmet goes on it's like okay it's time to do work so everything she's practicing for she puts out there and then she goes out and wins and she's like so like she's got that same thing like she wins and she's like okay you got this you know and she's like i want to go to this event i want to go to this one i'm like that's an a series and she's like i want to go to the a series events and start doing that and i'm like okay but you might not do well i don't want you to get sad she's like i don't care how i'm gonna do i want to see how i judge up what i need to learn i'm like okay so she's into that my son's six um i've never seen anybody ride a dirt bike more than my son at six like literally i've never seen anybody ride more hours a day than him he is in love with dirt bikes so i've got a lot of fun with him coming up because i mean i've already had fun with him and i can't wait for him to be able to you know ride some of the little bit more aggressive trail stuff that i like to go do so you know there's a lot beyond racing that i'm looking forward to in life so no matter what happens with it all like i'm stoked my you know to be able to spend time with them and this was probably not what everyone expected for me not to race the rest of the year this year because you know of a couple of reasons, but man, 
it's been the most fun year of my life. Like winning KOH and, and doing it back to back. I think like nobody's like, Hey, if you don't go to the next event, like we're going to pull your sponsorship for next year. So I don't have any of those constraints. Cause I mean, I'm still good with all those guys. Everybody's happy with me. I didn't agree ahead of time to race the series and not race it. I just agreed to race KOH. And you know, then with the kids, I I've never had more fun. And I spent as much time as I could with them this summer. And uh, you know, I, I loved it. I actually loved it way more than I thought I would. I know it sounds weird, but I always felt like if I wasn't racing, I might be missing out. And, and I, I mean, this sounds awful, but I never even followed the live feeds. Like I wasn't even sure. I didn't know sometimes until I'd see the posts on Facebook that there was a race that weekend. Cause I was just hanging out with them and happy to be with them. I wasn't <sighs> feeling like I wish I was somewhere else. That's, you know? and, that's and I awesome. Didn't expect that. that is so. completely awesome that you take the time to do that. And, um, I guess, I guess next race will be King of the Hammers. Well, um, actually, I'm racing in the Baja 1000. Nice, very cool. So it's a little top secret still, but uh, uh, really, 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 really like cool. So it's weird, you know. I didn't really know Cameron Steele that well. He's announced our events for a few years, so right. he kind of knows who we are, and I know who he is for you know, all the years of him being a television personality and a racer. And I always respect, I mean, class 16 is such a cool class. I always followed it because it's like the raw, really good drivers class and like watching him and him go out and win in uh, the buggies and, and everything in uh, the short course and watching him like develop and like be a good driver. And then, I don't know, something happened last year when he came in second at the thousand and I watched those videos and I was like, damn. And then when he won it this year, it's like, dude, the guy's got so much drive. Like he's so badass, but he's so personable and easygoing that sometimes I think people don't realize that he's got that like hardcore moto passion to like do it all right. And, um, we just became friends, like fast friends, you know, without like really spending as much time together as it usually takes. But we had like a common bond and he has carried me, to help me get to be part of his team to race in a thousand. And I was like, this is incredible. And, and it's not in the trophy truck. I'll just let you know, it's in another vehicle, but at least, you know, the opportunity is there to go down and race it. And, and I've done it, I think seven times. So this will be our eighth time. Um, I got to do trail emissions, take the whole family down there. And that was all Cameron and BF Goodrich that and method and Fox that allowed me to do it. Um, it's not racing, but it's still, you know, good for, um, you know, the sport in a lot of ways. I know mm -hmm. it sounds funny, but like, they get a lot of exposure out of it. And I think our group gets a lot of exposure out of it as well for ultra four, because you know, we're, we're not necessarily just another desert racer that's going down there, but we're actually from a different discipline. And, um, and I really enjoyed it. God, I love Baja and I love the, the off pace, like pre-running when you're down there going and exploring. I think, uh, exploring is kind of my next, uh, thing someday. Like I want to, you know, we, Tom Ways and I nicknamed it Raptoring. When you get a Raptor <laughs> and you go out and adventure places that you haven't been, right? It's uh, you know, it's kind of like the first time you rode a dirt bike trail and you're like learning a new single track that you're like, this is sick. It's that same feeling, but you're uh, you're out in the Raptors and you got the AC seats on and listening to radio, you know, XM or Sirius Radio, or whatever, and <laughs> a little more peaceful. <laughs> <laughs> but it's definitely just as fun, and I really love it. And you know, it's cool because my wife loves it. And so I can see us going out and having a lot of fun doing that. You know, I didn't really get into overlanding or any of that kind of stuff. It wasn't really my jam, but the raptoring is fast paced enough that it's still, you know, hits that adrenaline side that you want to have some fun and, uh, and go out and explore. So, um, trail missions was, you know, 
absolutely badass. Man, that that's awesome. You're going to be down the thousand and doing that kind of stuff. Um, being a back-to-back Ultra Four King of the Hammers, the first back-to-back winner, and then also the three-time. Um, what do you I mean? What's your what's your thought on the next years of KOH? What are you hoping happens, and uh, what is your plan? for the next years of, of ultra four and KOH? Well, you know, it's a great question. Cause it's not like, you know, um, you know, what are your thoughts? Like, are, how are you going to do it again? It's like, you know, what, what's going on with the ham? What's going on with KOH is I personally believe that what we watched happen in the side-by-sides with the manufacturers getting behind the side-by-side racers and supporting it because they have actual vehicle sales, you know, I know Fox gets actual shock sales because they're branding out there. I know BF Goodrich gets actual tire sales because they prove they're the best tire out there. You know, all those companies see a return on investment or they wouldn't be sponsoring these events. I think that the OEM side is going to come into Ultra 4 and into KOH and say, hey, this is one of the, if not the coolest events that takes place in the country. And we want to go out there and show that our stuff's the best. That competition between those OEMs is going to take our sport to the next level that it needs to be and help those professional drivers get to the spot where they're not, you know, basically breaking even to try to go race, but they can actually go out and make a living doing it and take the cars to the level that they should be because the OEMs are the guys that can help us with the engineering that we've, you know, been doing on a shoestring budget and, and get the cars to the level where, you know, they'll be better than what they're at today in no time. And, you know, they'll, they'll be a really cool, you know, era of the rock sports where it, it, you know, just, just blows up. And I think the story of, of ultra four is probably still yet to be written when you look at what's going to happen over the next, you know, five or 10 years with that. And, uh, and if I was those OEMs, it's the perfect place to market because where else are you going to go get, you know, 70 to 80,000 people to show up that are diehard. I mean, there's nobody out there that shows up and they don't have some sort of an influence into the sport. And they're just the guys that are hardcore and have to go stay in the desert for that week. Think of all the people that want to go do that, that will be influenced by that group of people. So if you really look at it from a marketing standpoint, it's the hundred percent perfect demographic of the people they're looking for. Right. And they've got it all in one spot. So if I'm going to build a new OEM vehicle to go target that business, or I have one currently that I think is the best one, I'm damn sure going to be in that sport to make sure I can stay relevant and stay up there and, you know, or break ground with my new product and show everybody else, look at what we can, look at what we got. And I think it's going to turn into the, you know, it's going to be like the auto show for off road. People are going to want to go there to see all the new, new cool shit. And I, I mean, that's coming like, and that's coming right away. So Very good. It's it's cool. I think the next year is going to be awesome. Yeah. And the cool thing is whenever I've been there, they, they had a, whenever I, I think the last, last year I was there was 2014 and I would love to go back this year to actually see, cause they used to have a small tent of vendors, but their, their tent just continues to grow. And it's uh, sold out already. And it's like five months before the raids. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's crazy, (laughs) man. I, I love KOH. I've always done it on a bare bones budget. And, um, this year, if I do it again, I'll, I'll I'll do it a little bit different. Hopefully, I won't be staying in a uh, in a uh, trailer with gas tanks and everything else where I couldn't have AC or a heater and all that mess. But it is what it is. I'm I'm working on it. I'm trying to get there. So, uh, yeah. but uh, one now. 
All right, man. Well, thanks for everything. I appreciate being on and uh, hope we didn't ramble too much, man. I know these shows are probably a little long when I go into all the details, but it's definitely uh, a lot of cool stories that bring back a lot of memories. So I enjoy telling them when we get a chance. No, and and honestly, I was supposed to talk about your brother. He told me he he said he needed to be plugged. So you need to talk to Casey Shear. (laughs) Well, you should have him on the show, dude. Casey's got quite a racing heritage, too. You know, I don't know if everybody knows how good he was in the go-karts. Yeah, no, Um, I've already had him on on the podcast before. And okay, cool. uh, and he he told me he said man make sure you plug me so I got to make sure I plug Casey Shear look at his go karts um, he's doing really good in the in the side by side industry right now he's doing he's doing massive things and now and the, the other question is which I asked him and I'm going to ask you real quick do you guys ever compete against each other no um, <clears throat> it's been a little hard for me because I've had a couple of opportunities to race the ETVs and it's a little tricky because, you know, it's a day extra pre-run in the course. Um, but I chose not to, cause I don't want to, I don't want to get into his thing. I would be happy if he came in fine, but I don't want to get into his thing and, and take that away from him because, you know, I respect what he's, the effort he's put into his stuff. And I just don't think it's fair if I show up in there. Um, right. But likewise, I think, you know, if, I mean, I'm sponsored by Coral Parch, owned by Polaris. One of my best buddies is sponsored by Can-Am and so is my brother. And I get these deals offered to me. And I think if the right deal came along to where I could carry him with me, we could be good teammates because even though he doesn't listen to anything I say, <laughs> it doesn't mean that we couldn't work together in a constructive way. I mean, I'm joking when I say that he, he, he does listen to me. He just sometimes has to tell me that I'm wrong about three times before he listens. And sometimes I am wrong. So I'll take credit for being wrong every once in a while. But, you know, I think if we could put an intermediary like Adam between us and say, okay, Adam, you know, you tell Casey what he's going to go do to his car instead of me telling him that you can't run an electric water pump hanging off the side of the car, but you know, he'll be fine. He won't blow up his motor, you know? Oh, that's but I funny. I told him and I didn't want to listen. So, you know, it's one of those things where, um, you know, if we had the right structure, we could do a lot of fun stuff together. And, yeah. You know, what people forget about my brother is he's a badass rock crawler. He's got a Bronco that I built with him in high school, and he's had a Bronco since he was 14 years old. Yeah, the yellow and, one, right? Yeah. Yeah. The dude can wheel. So he keeps going to the hammers. And his car breaks in the desert before he gets to the rock trails. And I'm like, shit, you've never shown your capabilities yet because you keep getting, you keep getting, you know, bad qualifying. The motor's not running right. Like literally, like it's all these little things. And I'm like, dude, somehow if you can just get, you know, if he can just get a car that'll let him carry himself into the top 15 and qualifying without having any mechanicals, he can go out there and give Guthrie a run for his money because he can wheel the rocks. Right. And so, you know. Yeah, that's funny. We'll it, it, it's funny. I, I was just giving you a hard time about that, and he uh, he told me to do that. I just talked to him earlier earlier this evening. So, um, cool. man, thanks for doing the podcast. I appreciate it. Um, I mean, you've got you've got uh, a pretty substantial winnings in Ultra Four and 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 racing it all. And I appreciate you sitting down and giving me an hour. I mean, considering you're sitting in Canada. Um, and took the time oh, out to do it. So I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Hey, anytime, man. I, uh, I'm glad to be on the show and, uh, yeah, just, you know, working is working. I, wherever I am, if I'm in a hotel room at night, there's nothing to do. I'm happy to, uh, to take the time, but it's definitely, uh, you know, it's the grind. I think, like I said earlier, it's, uh, it's not easy to, to do it all, but, um, you gotta pick your, 
50 things and and you know sometimes i wish i was just racing full time but you know it's a nice balance because i don't have to worry about uh you know the next sema show and getting my sponsorship deal renewed like some guys do and you know i get a little cushion on it but it's overall you know life's good and i'm happy with it so um appreciate being on the show and you know if you can make it out to koh this year definitely come hang out oh we definitely will man we'll holler at you later man all right take care Alan. all right all right guys thanks for coming back and uh listening to the whole podcast my name is hitch uh i'm with see you on the trail and if uh if you haven't ever heard of us please look us up on facebook youtube uh we are on twitter uh and instagram it's see you on the trail don't skip any spaces just spell it out um and uh we've been around since oh 2007 and uh, we've done everything from King of the Hammers to Vegas to Reno to a lot of dirt riots to a lot of Ultra 4. <clears throat> so check us out. We've got a whole bunch of content on YouTube that we like to uh, we like to show off. We enjoy there. Um, and uh, so check us out on YouTube and everything else. I do want to tell you one other thing. I'm looking to go to KOH. Um, and if I go to KOH, I need to basically make sure that I'm paid to go there for the simple fact is I can't afford it because I'm a cheap bastard. Um, but uh, um, I I want to do full out documentaries on five racers at KOH. It doesn't matter if it's if you're a 4,500, 4,600, 4,700, 4,800, 4,400 car. Um, I need five guys. If I can get five teams to commit to me to do to do uh documentaries on them and this will include um it, it can include it, it cannot include aerial footage i have a drone but it cannot include that because of the uh the restrictions that they have there at the hammers during it um but it will include uh, it, gopro footage it will include interviews it'll include what you guys are doing in the pit um Depending on how you actually want to do it, we can have some some backstories and some um, uh, gag reels and such. And then I will also take care of your social media moderation during that week, so you don't have to deal with it. Um, I know a lot of guys you're you're way overwhelmed at KOH trying to race a race, and um, I would love I, I'll take over your social media moderation. I'll take the pictures. I'll update. Um, everybody on social media because there's so many people that don't make it out to KOH that want to be there, but they're always listening and they're always watching and they want, they want to, they want you to succeed. And, um, and for you to succeed is also to have social media and make sure everything happens. So anyway, I'm willing to put that up to you guys. Um, if anybody's interested in it, shoot me an email, uh, see you on the trail at gmail.com. Uh, you're also, Welcome to text me. Um, send me a message on my personal uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, anything. Let me know. But uh, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. Um, we're going to try to have another podcast done um, in the next couple of weeks. Um, this is really, to be honest, it's not a, a priority for me for the simple fact is it's really hard to put these together and make sure everybody is is on the same page and we all have a good conversation. I do love the long form conversation that we end up having, but um, everybody's planning for nationals. Um, my next podcast, I believe I'm going to try to get uh, a guy that's got a monster truck. He's been racing mega trucks for years. He bought a monster truck and uh, he's been doing that. I think 
October 19th. I believe he's going to successfully, hopefully, do a, do a, do a backflip. So I got to call him um, and make sure that we've got that set up and we'll we'll bullshit and have a good time. Um, but anyway, guys, check out all of our social media. That's how you keep up with us. Uh, Facebook is the main one. Instagram's there. Twitter's there. Um, and then also uh, Facebook's the main one. I'm not, I'm not even going to fool you because I love Facebook. I've been on Facebook since 2008 or something like that. So, uh, but yeah. Go, hook, go go find us. It's see you on the trail. No spaces. Just spell it out. See you on the trail. Uh, there's no algorithms or anything like that that'll 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 uh, be a problem. Be a problem. <laughs> so, and guys, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And we'll have a good day. We will have a good day, but I hope you have a better day. My name's Hitch, and we're with see you on the trail. Have a good night.